Father, I pray this morning that we will understand who you are in the heart of Jesus, that you are a God of overflow. You are the God of not, in, not, not enough. You are the God of, God of more than enough, not just enough, more than enough. I pray, Father God, that this word will be sealed in our hearts that your sons and daughters would understand that you are not a God of lack. That is not who you are. And I pray, Father God, as we march out of this place today, that, Father God, there will be a boldness, that there will be a courage upon your people, that there will be a grace upon them, Lord God, to see their greatest days ahead. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you so much, Katie. I really appreciate that. Praise the Lord. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of this message is, you guessed it, More Than Enough. More Than Enough. I, I want to unpack five key principles from this but I, that I felt will change your lives. If you can grab hold of these things. There is so much in the Word of God that we miss out on. We often see a small portion based on our understanding at that time. And the reason we come and gather in the house of God, you're trusting that the leaders, that the man of God, the woman of God, look, we're just people. But that we are hopefully more mature, that we're able to give you something else that you might not have seen before. Let me tell you, when we have people coming up to share in communion, we love to get anyone who's serving in the church. We'll grab you. If you're wondering, I'd love to be able to share sometime. The question I'm going to ask you is, are you serving? Because we want to give everyone an opportunity because each of you has a grace of the Lord upon you. You have knowledge that I don't have. God is going to give you an edge to the way that you read Scripture that I don't have. But we need that. And so as we begin to share, I pray that your mind is going to be blown. Because as we read these things, it's meant to shift and change mindsets right? Your greatest days are ahead of you, but as long as you keep thinking the same way that you're thinking, as long as you constantly refuse to read the Word, refuse to pray, you're going to be under the same constraints as the world around you. You'll be the same. You'll be the same people griping on social media, the same people that don't have enough, the same people whose marriages or relationships are breaking down, and you're trying to scratch your head thinking, but I'm a Christian. Why is going on? I'm telling you, the Word of God will change your life. That's the reason my sister was clapping this morning. There's an excitement when the Word of God is read because we know life is being released. Are you ready for the Word this morning? Come on with me. I don't want you to be quiet. In Live City Church, we make some noise. I, before I say this, I'm looking around this room. I'm seeing a church that is full. You are meeting in the hardest of elements. You have braved two winters. You have braved, is it two winters? You braved two summers and one winter. And you're still here. Turn to the person next to you and say, I am still here. Turn to the other neighbor and say, you're still here. We have endured much, and yet we have grown in that time. We've had salvations. We've had very soon water baptisms, Holy Spirit baptisms, and that's even before moving into a new building. When we move into that building, we're in the center of a city. I can bet you every week we're going to have guests coming, but they didn't do what you did. You have endured much and you're still here. Let me tell you, God's got blessings for you. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to hear you share testimony. 
You ready for the word? Okay, five key principles. Number one, write this down. God is interested in your needs. Let me tell you, that's a revelation for some people. Some of you are thinking that God doesn't care about you. That what he cares about is what he's done in the past. But that today it's not relevant anymore. Can I tell you, that's not the God that we read about. Verse 2 says this, And a great crowd of people followed him. Why? They followed him. They're going from place to place to place. You can bet when he started his ministry, there might have been five people. Then they saw the miracles and the healings and the signs and the wonders and thinking, who is this guy? This is incredible. As he shared, when he taught, there was revelation being released and thought, this is unbelievable. I've never seen this before. The people who were sinners were not feeling condemned. They're feeling drawn to this guy. They're saying, come on, preach more. I want to know more. I want my life to change. I realize I have a hope. I realize I have a future. I realize there is forgiveness in the presence of the Lord. Man, you are quiet. The rest of you guys, I've got some of you that are alive. Maybe you haven't sinned enough. You don't understand what I'm preaching about. I hope that you just turn to the person next to you. Just laugh a little bit. <laughs> Pastor's talking about you. <laughs> I know you sinned. I know what, this is a series now. I know what you did last summer. I'm not going to watch it. I know what you did last God knows what you did. You should be like me saying, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you, God, for forgiveness. Some of you become Christians for too long. You have this regality about you. Of course I'm forgiven. I deserve No, you don't. No, you don't. And you look at the person next to you. I'm glad I'm not like that heathen next to me. <laughs> don't look at the person next to you. We're not like that in this church. Can I tell you? We are imperfect. You are going to stuff up. You need to tell someone that. Just to look him in the eye and say, you are going to stuff up. Okay, turn to the other side and say, but it's okay. Jesus forgives you. We, we forget sometimes it's good news. You come here with your faces in a, oh, oh Pastor, you don't understand. What, no, God is good all the time. I'm going to practice one more time. God is good and all the time. Oh, come on. Now I feel I'm at Live City Church. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered how God responds when all these people are crying out to him at the same time, God, I need a new car. My car's dying. God, I need bread on the table. God, I need you to pay for my bills. God, I need help to put food on the table. God, I need this. God, I need that. God, I need this. Multiply that by millions of people. I, I don't know how he does it. But he's listening to you all the time. Some of you are griping, complaining. By the way, if you gripe and complain in prayer, it's actually okay. It's very healthy. You're allowed to do that. So you just gripe and complain and you ask and ask and ask. I don't know how God handles millions of people doing this, but the Word of God is showing us a picture of what God is like through Jesus. It says a great crowd of people followed him. Because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Because they heard his teaching. Because they were amazed. Because they realized there was hope. But I'm thinking to myself, how does God handle so many people asking, gimme, 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 gimme. By the way, did you know that's called prayer? That's what you're doing in prayer. You're saying, God, gimme, 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 gimme. 
because I can't do it. I don't have it in my currency. I don't have the ability. I don't have the talent. I don't have the influence. I don't have the knowledge. I don't have the education. And yet God elevates people who serve him to positions of authority and power that you don't deserve. That's the kind of God we serve, and that's why we follow him. But you're wondering to yourself, I'm wondering to myself, how does God do that? The Bible tells us God is so interested in you. I don't know how he handles it, but he does. You're his favorite. I know. I'm his favorite. I I don't know. I don't don't know how you can be his favorite and I'm his favorite. We are his favorite because his capacity is greater than ours. So much need, so many prayer requests. Missionary statesman Hudson Taylor, famous, famous missionary to China, had complete trust in God's faithfulness. In his journal, he wrote, I'm going to quote, unquote, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Someone needs to write that one down. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. What a powerful quote. Jesus said it this way. He said, So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? So what will we drink? What will we wear? I'm thinking about this from this perspective. We are moving into a new building. We've not done this before. It's a facility. We're going to be in a shopping center paying lease rates. We're going to be like next. I'm I'm telling you, this is a massive upgrade. It's incredible. We've got space to spare. We've got a mother's room. We've got kids' room. We've got our own kitchen. We've got our own toilets. Like, come on. This is so good. But I'm also thinking to myself, oh, Lord, now we have to pay for it. We've got to be good for this stuff. And pastor's starting to worry a little bit, but I I can't. I can't worry because Jesus is saying these very words. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, how you're going to pay your rent. Verse 32, look at this. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Some of you, the Bible says pagans, but it's everyone who doesn't believe in Yahweh. Okay? But, everyone say but. But. That means forget everything else, all your worry and all that. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Oh, where? Wow. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. What I'm trying to tell you, what I feel the Lord is trying to tell you is this. To live a kingdom lifestyle is to live separate and apart from how others live. While they're struggling, thinking, oh, how am I going to pay for these things? How am I going to pay for the rent? I don't know what's going to happen to my kids. I don't know what's going to happen to these things. God says, no, the pagan, the unbelievers, they worry about these things because they don't have me. They don't have what you got. When you know that you can go to your father, the Bible says we are children of God. Paul the Apostle says you can boldly enter the presence of God. He's holding court. He's the judge of all things. He's holding court. 
And yet in the middle of these important people all standing around the throne room of God, the kids can come running in. Oh, Father, I've got a problem. Can you help me out? He says, sure, absolutely. You guys can wait. I once watched this movie, Coming to America. How many people watched that? You should repent. No, no. <laughs> it's a good movie. I love back then, you know, before I was saved. No. And he was, you know, and he says, you know, he's having time with his son. And someone says, but king, there's people waiting. He says, let them wait. And that's what the father says when you come into his throne room. Let them wait. My child is with me right now. And there you are imploring him. And he's listening to you because he cares for you. Let me tell you, before you begin your ministry, you need to make sure there's some self-care going on. Some of you guys, you know how to serve, and you serve, and you serve, and you serve. Some of you did that. You got burnt. You got upset, and you're just trying to heal right now. I want to tell you, it's okay to self-care. Now, if you only care about yourself, that's a problem. But it's okay to self-care. Let me tell you, one of the worst things that our pastors with that, we feel that we don't have a right to do that. We're constantly pouring, 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 pouring. I'm really glad I'm bivocational. I'm also a teacher. I get paid elsewhere. So I don't feel guilty when I go and leave. I used to feel guilty. I don't anymore. It's okay. It's all right. You have to be able to look after yourself first because the Word of God says this. Great commandment. Love God. Then it says this. Love others as you love yourself. If you can't care for yourself, how can you possibly care for other people? And here's what's going on, what you don't know from the book of Matthew. This story appears in each of the Gospels. In the book of Matthew, it tells us that Jesus heard this news. Your cousin, John the Baptist, has been executed horribly. His head was put on a plate, on a platter, and given to the king. What a wicked, wicked thing to do. And this is what happened. And so he's grieving for his cousin. He's also grieving because he's also God because one of his great prophets has been killed. The Bible says, precious in the sight of God are, the, are, the, are his children, the righteous. Precious. And he's weeping. Again, you're seeing the heart of God. He's weeping. He's really grieving. So he says, guys, come on. Let's just get away. Let's... Let's just get in the boat and let's go away. We need to do some self-care right now. And remember, half of his disciples came from John the Baptist. They were his disciples. And they're grieving as well. He says, we just need a time to cry. We need a time to grieve. We need a time to heal. It's okay to do some self-care. But I want to tell you this. God is interested in your needs. It changes the way that you pray when you realize it's okay to ask for these things. I remember growing up over the years and talking to different people. They came from different denominations, different backgrounds, and they would say to me, oh, Paul, you can't ask for that. I do. I say, Lord, I need a car park. <laughs> How many people do that? I get the best car parks. We do. We end up parking pretty much right in front of the door. I probably need the exercise. I probably shouldn't pray that. But oftentimes, I don't even pray anymore. The Lord just says, I know what he likes. And I'm just turning around the corner. Someone pulls out like, oh, God, thank you, Lord. I really you don't have to do this. You know, and the door's right there. It's the most amazing thing. But people say, oh, Paul, you shouldn't pray like that. Why not? God knows not just my needs. He knows my wants. He's interested in every part of me. Do you understand? He's interested in every part of you. He loves what you love. 
And when you're having fun, some of you love just to go motorbike riding. You know, you got that helmet on, but that, that wind that's pouring through you, tearing, and you feel you're in the presence of God. You are in the presence of God. He loves that with you. Others of us, we love just playing tennis. It makes me feel young, doesn't it, David? We're just playing away. We play with Isaac to make us feel younger. We're playing away, and we're thinking, I can take on this young man. I'm going to take him down. You know, sometimes I, it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I'm feeling in that moment, and God rejoices in that. Because he knows what I want. He knows what I need. Let's go to the second key thing here. We find out that compassion drives the heart of God. If we're supposed to be like God, compassion should drive us. You know, I, I do counseling, a lot of it over the years. And I talk to people and I try to explain to them, you understand what compassion is. So I explain to them, let's break it down. Do you know what sympathy is? And they say, yes, sympathy is when you're feeling sorry for someone. You're moved by sorrow and you're grieving for someone else and the pain they're going through. Yes. And then we got empathy, the sympathy, then there's empathy. Empathy is putting yourself in their shoes. You are feeling what they're feeling. Some of you have got a pastoral gift upon your heart. And you feel what other people are feeling. You know when someone's missing from church. And you'll remind me, like I am pastoral, but I'm not that pastoral. I'm, I'm a te- I got a real teaching gift. I do. Sometimes I get so caught up in that that I forget. And then later on, Holy Spirit reminds me that I'm doing a phone call. Sometimes you get that message. It's not, uh-oh, I'm in trouble, pastors, messaging. Some of you here today thinking, well, that's why I came today because I got in trouble. No, 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 no. It's because the Holy Spirit puts you on my heart. But some of you, you are constantly thinking about other people. There's a pastoral gift upon you. You have empathy, but Jesus had compassion. It's all of that. You are feel, you're feeling grieving for someone. You are in their shoes, feeling what they're feeling, but you are moved by that to do something about it. Jesus felt concerned. By the way, can I just challenge you with this thought? How many of you have been helping out with the floods, the flood victims? In our church. Have a look in the room at the hands that are raised. Don't look on camera. Not a single hand. How many people are feeding the poor? Put your hands up. Okay, you're feeding the poor. You're going out of your way. Okay, so we got some work to do. Can you see that? Compassion. Because often we are so interested only in our own lives. It's too uncomfortable to have to leave and get in my car and help someone else feed the poor but it's the heart of Jesus. Clifton Fadiman, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Fadiman, in the Little Brown Book of Anecdotes, tells a story about, excuse this again, Vladimir Nabokov, a Russian-born novelist. He says this, One summer in the 40s, Nabokov and his family stayed with James Laughlin at Alta in Utah, where Nabokov took the opportunity to enlarge his collection of butterflies and moths. Fadiman writes, Nabokov's fiction has never been praised for its compassion. This is what he was like. He was single-minded, if anything else. One evening at dusk, he returned from his day's excursion, saying that during hot pursuit near Bear Gulch, he heard someone groaning most piteously down by the stream. Lachlan asked him, did you stop? He said, no. I had to get the butterfly. The next day, the corpse, the corpse of an aged prospector was discovered in what has been renamed in Nabokov's honor, Dead Man's Gulch. While people 
are dying around us, how often we chase butterflies. So interested in our own pursuits, and yet Jesus, moved by compassion, drops what he's doing. He needed time. He needed time to grieve with his disciples, and yet he saw the need was greater with the people that came to him. Here's number three. God is looking for a people who can see beyond. Jehovah Jireh, this wasn't lost on me. Listen to this. Jesus is God. God is Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh means God who provides for my needs. We, we sometimes, I don't know, if you've been around long enough, you might have known the song Jehovah Jireh. <laughs> we got a few of those. You sing it in your head now. Jehovah Jireh, the God of supply, is asking a man to supply the needs of others. How did he go with that? You're all very, very quiet. Okay, let me give you the verse. He asked Philip this only to test him. In other words, he knew he was going to fail. <laughs> when God asks you a question, he already knows the outcome. You can't lie to him. So Philip, he, he's, he's, he's a number cruncher. This is a, like a nerd, nerd alert here. He's trying to work out, well, based on eight months' wages, if we try to feed everyone, even then they would only get a little bite, a little mouthful of bread. That's about it. That's all we can afford with eight months' wages. It's like, Philip, that wasn't the point what he's trying to ask you. Have you ever been in a situation where you found yourself in trouble and out of options? Can I tell you that that is a God moment for you? When you find that you are up against the wall and you cannot see a future past the wall that's in front of you, that is a God setup. God is trying to take everything that he has invested in you. You are a kingdom citizen. You are meant to represent, represent the kingdom for him on his behalf. And he's saying, okay, I've taught you all these things that have led you to this moment. I let it happen because I want to test what's in your heart. Remember, God already knows the outcome. And what often happens is Christians end up thinking like the rest of the pagan world, and they're trying to work with five senses, what we see, taste, touch, smell, and hear. I touched on that last week. They're trying to work it out. Oh, my goodness, let's see if I've got this many wages, can last this long, I've got this much savings. We can last for another five months, but, oh, my goodness, this problem's going to last for six months. God, how are we going to do this? I remember a man of prayer. Uh, his name was Johnson, Reverend Johnson Chuck Pornu. And he was preaching at a conference. And he was teaching on faith. And in African style, he's saying, if God has given you the faith for a bicycle, don't ask him for a motorbike. If God has given you the faith for a bicycle, don't ask him for a car because you don't have enough faith for the car. Just trust him for the bicycle. And once you've got the bicycle and you've used that bicycle well, God will give you the faith for a motorbike. Do you understand the principle? So he tells a story. He says, when he first became the senior pastor of the church, he was promoted from the youth and associate pastor to the senior pastor. He inherited the church car, which was a bomb of a car. But, man, when you have nothing, when you're traveling on a bicycle to get to church, whoo, that car is looking pretty good. And he's praising the Lord for the car. God, thank you so much. He's got his wife smiling at him. We got a car. We got a car. And the children are just rejoicing in the back seat as he's driving to, to church. And then one day God says, Johnson, I'm going to give you a BMW 3 Series that was new back then. 
BMW 3 Series. And as soon as he heard the word, he told the church. And the church rejoiced because they didn't have the money to pay for that. They were poor, dirt poor. And so they realized only a miracle of God can provide that car. And so the church would be coming to him every week, Pastor, ah, have you got the car yet? He says, no, but it's coming because God promised it. Another person comes up the next week, Pastor, have you got the car yet? He says, no, but it's coming because God promised it to me. His faith, instead of waning, began to build up so much that he decided this car does not deserve to be in the garage that's reserved for my BMW 3 Series. He wouldn't park it. It stayed there in the parking. And then pretty soon his faith grew even more. He says, I refuse to let this thing sit in my driveway. And he would park it on the opposite side of the street. And so much so, the faith increased. And every day people are saying, Pastor, have you got the car yet? Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. Nobody's coming. Eventually he refused to drive it. So his wife drive the car. She was pretty happy. It didn't matter to her. She's still getting the church by car. He would walk to church every day because he refused to drive in that car. His faith grew so much. It was years later. He still, still didn't get that, that car that God promised him. But then the elders and the board came together. They said, Pastor, we know that God has been speaking to you and God has promised a new car. Well, the church got together. And we took up a love offering. And pastor, here's the keys to a brand new Hyundai Elantra. The pastor looked at that and he says, God bless you. Thank you so much. But God promised me a BMW 3 Series and he will supply the need. Go and take the car and sell it and put the money into the church. He would not take it. Soon after that, he gets an invite to preach in a very large church which he became the senior pastor of in the Ivory Coast of Africa. As he's preaching there, you know, God is moving in signs and wonders. And at the end, a white South African lady comes up to him. And she said, looked him up and down. For a black preacher, you preach pretty well. And he said, I didn't know if that was an insult or that was a compliment. But it was there. She says, and the Lord told me to give you whatever he told you he was going to give you. And he says, okay. God promised me a BMW 3 Series. She said, how much did they cost? And he had already done the research. He told her. She wrote the check, gave it to him. He bought the car that week. That's a great moment. The story doesn't end there. Soon after that, he got struck with a disease that he was dying from. The doctor gave him two months to live. And he says, Lord, how could you do this to me? You know, you've given me this car. You've given me this great church. I've got this great life and future ahead of me. And the Lord says this to him, sacrifice that which you love the most. So with tears in his eyes, he gives the keys to his board and elders. He says, sell the car, put the money in the church. But pastor, this is the car that God blessed you with. I know. He says, just put the money in the church. God told me to do it. The moment he released the keys, the Lord healed him. And then God says, I'm going to give you a Mercedes. <laughs> do you understand? It's ever-increasing faith. The Bible tells us that Moses came to the Red Sea. God told him, take the people to the Red Sea. I don't want you to go around the Red Sea as is the normal journey. I want you to take them to the Red Sea, out of a place of difficulty into a place of impossibility. The Lord doesn't like to make it easy for you. He wants to show you his hand. And if you think you can do it, even though it's difficult, if you think you can do it, it's not the Lord. 
Because God will take you to the place of impossibility to drive you to your knees. So you start crying out to him saying, God of miracles, I need you now. God of miracles, I need you to intercede. I need you to work on my behalf because I can't do this in my own strength. And God will say, good, good. I'm glad we can finally work together. The Bible tells us that the disciples were rowing in a boat when an incredible storm came and Jesus is asleep in the boat. They finally had to wake him up and he calmed the wind and the waves of the word. Peace, be still. Immediately the wind and the waves died down. They were shocked at this. Rather than say, are you guys okay? You know what he says? Do you still lack faith? Why? Because with greater revelation, when God shows you Miracle after miracle after miracle when he's teaching you stuff and you've been through with him a different journey, with greater revelation comes greater expectation. You are supposed to expect more from God. He provided for a bike, and now you know God will always provide a bike for you, but now it's time to believe God for the motorbike. Are you with me? God is trying to take you to a new level, and it's supposed, it's supposed to be harder. If it's easy, it's not the Lord. Turn to the person next to you and say, if it's easy, it ain't God. It has to be impossible, not just hard, impossible before it's God. My wife, oh, Lord, help me. Um, so I was saying to her, oh, we've got to pay this rent now and all that. She looked at me. She says, if it's difficult, it's not God. If it's impossible, it's God. Okay, honey. Yes, Lord. I realize as the Lord speaking to her, she does it to me all the time. <laughs> and it takes me to a whole new level. Come on, let's go to the fourth key I want you to grab hold of. Work with what you have. The Bible says in verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, that's Peter, spoke up. Instead of saying, oh, we only, even eight months' wages, won't let he says, no, no, here's a boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. Uh, that's not actually going to cut it. <laughs> Five loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? You know what amazes me the most? Only a little boy thought to pack a lunch. 5,000 men plus their wives and their children, some commentators say about 20,000 people were there. They only counted the men. They didn't count the boys, the girls, and the women. Only the men. 20,000 people were there that day, possibly. Could have been 10 to 20,000. And yet only one person packed a lunch. <laughs> There's some problems there right there. But what amazes me is that God isn't looking. He, did, he could have created something out of nothing. Do you understand this? He could have prayed. Jesus could have prayed and manna fell. And they could eat. Instead, he says, what do you have? The Bible says that Moses, when he was called by God, he's saying, I can't do this. They won't believe who sent me. You know, what, what can I do? And God says, what do you have? And Moses says, oh, i got a staff, my shepherding staff. He goes, that'll do. And God says, put it down, and it becomes a snake. The moment after, Moses freaked out, and God says, just touch the, bottom, the tail of the snake, and it became a staff. Again, you understand this miracle? It's an inanimate object. It's dead wood. And God creates life. A snake comes to life. He's freaked out. It's a big, big snake, the size of a staff, okay? Six-foot staff, six-foot snake. And then he touches it, and it becomes a staff again. From that moment on, 
the Bible refers to that staff. Instead of Moses' staff, which is set up to that point, it became the Lord's staff. When you are faithful with things that God gives you, and you are able to give it to God, God will redeem what you have and call it His. And there's a blessing, there's a favor, there's miracles upon what you steward well. If you can't steward your finances well, you notice that in our church we never take up tithes and offerings. By the way, many people in our church give tithes and offerings. That's why we can go to that building. They give all the time because they're mature in the Lord. They understand how to put God first. Because they did that, it's no longer their finances. It's God's finances. It's God's business now to make sure you have not just enough. Look at this, more than enough. That's what this message is about. Let me keep going. The Bible tells us a story of Gideon. And Gideon had an army that was insufficient to fight the enemy. There were about... 10% of the army coming against them. You know what God says to him? Gideon, you have too many people. <laughs> Gideon's like, you say what? I have less of an army. They outnumber us 10 to 1. And you're saying, I have too many people. God says, you have too many people. Call them. Tell them, if anyone's scared, go home. Number one, God wants the courageous. So off they went. And then he says, you still have too many people. He says, come on, God. I don't have enough to start with. And now you dwindle it down. You want to do even less people. He says, go to the river and let them drink. And I want you to observe. The people who are with their faces, the two hands, putting water into their mouth, they're the ones I want you to get rid of. But the ones who have a weapon in one hand, who are looking around and taking water out of the other hand and drinking, those are the ones you keep. Now it's dwindled down from thousands to 300 men. 300 men against an army of tens of thousands. You see, God isn't interested in the numbers. God isn't interested in the talent. God isn't interested in the influence. God isn't interested in who you know. God is interested in the person who says, I don't care what you got for me, God. I will just do it. I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I'm in. I am completely 100% in. Show me what you want me to do. The reason why you are not fruitful in your life with the Lord, the reason why you are not impacting people like God has planned for you, the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for you. Not just in the future, right now. God has amazing things for you to do. You're going to touch nations. You're going to change the lives of thousands of people. But as long as you are still thinking with that small mindset, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough uh, friends, I don't have enough influence, I don't have enough talent, God can't choose you. You write yourself off. God's saying, I don't care what you know. I don't care what little you have. I've got heaps to give you. I will put words in your mouth if you don't know what to say. I've got it all. All I'm looking for is a person that says, yes, I'm in 100%. Someone needs to put on hashtag, I'm in 100%. Y'all are quiet. Here's number five. God is a God of the overflow. This is the final thing I want you to get. God is a God 
of the overflow. The Bible says in verse 11, he took the loaves, he gave thanks for it, offered it to God, gave thanks, then he broke it and gave it. And the Bible is very literal here. They ate as much as they wanted. There were some appetites out there. They ate as much as they wanted. The numbers don't add up. There should not have been enough for five people, let alone 5,000 men plus their wives plus their children. Same with the fish, not enough. But have a look at what happens in the end. The Bible says that Jesus asked them, collect the leftover bread. Why not the fish? Because the fish would spoil. Collect the bread. The Bible tells us they collected 12 basketfuls of bread, bread pieces. It only started with a little basket, and now there are 12 basketfuls of bread. Why? A lot of time we preach like this. We say, God will give you just what you need, just enough. Can I tell you, every time I read the Word, I see that God doesn't just give you enough. That's not our God. He is a God of more than enough. He gives you that, and then He says, I just want you to know that it wasn't just a, a fluke. I'm going to give you so much more that you're going to remember the prayer that you asked on this side of the timeline when it was impossible. And when I supply and when I break through and when my hand gets involved, you're going to see way beyond anything you ever expected. Just so you know, I'm there. It's my fingerprint. You're very, very quiet this morning. Wow. Wow. How often have we focused on what we don't have. Think about this whole year so far. We've only started the year. Still young. How many times this year have you been focusing, I only have a little. I don't have enough. My car is too small. My house is too small. My room is too small. My job is too small. When the Lord is saying, when you focus on what you have, when you are faithful with the little, the Bible says, God knows you're going to be faithful with the lot. Can I challenge you with this thought? The only reason you don't have more is that God doesn't want to destroy you. Because if he gives you more, you will not be able to handle more. But God is a God of the more than enough. But he can only give you as much as you can handle. And if you can be faithful with the little that you have, God is going to give you more. I am talking about all aspects of life. I'm talking about ministry life. I remember when God started performing, uh, giving me a, a healing ministry. I thought, oh, my goodness. God told me, I want you to put on a healing service for the first time. I think, oh, God, I've never done this before. If people don't get healed, they'll make fun of me. They'll say, oh, there we go, another, you know, has been. There's nothing in that, man. But I thought, it's not me, God. It's you. And God performed miracles. But the miracles in that, after that day, that night, there was a lot. There was a lot of uh, headaches that were healed, and there were back pains that were healed. And instead of making me happy, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying in a bad way, I was a bit upset. I said, Lord, you're a God of miracles. Is this all that you'll do through me, just headaches being healed and backs being healed? There's got to be more. And the Lord was waiting for me to say that. So I says, Paul, I want you to put on another healing service. Okay, God, but my confidence is raised now. My expectation has increased. I know people with headaches and backs are going to be healed because I have experience now. And so I began trusting the Lord for more. And this time, you would not believe it, what the Lord did. 
I've told these stories over the years, but some of you are new. I'm going to tell you some stories. One of them was a lady. She came up. Her name was Jasmine. Her husband was Jim. She was a Fijian Indian. and her, Sorry, uh, she was a Malaysian Indian. She came up with her American husband. They're up there in the front. He just came to support her. And I said, what can we pray for? She says, I've got a goiter in my neck. Can you pray for me? I said, sure, nothing fancy because I'm not doing any healing at all. It's just the power of God. So I got my team. We put our hands on her. Father, that you would show your love to your daughter, Jasmine. Release miracles and healings upon them right now. That they will brag about you how good you are in Jesus' name. That's it. Nothing fancy. We didn't hear anything about it till the following week. And she, she was calling me and messaging me. I got her to testify. She says, you won't believe what happened. I said, do tell, Jasmine. She says, I went into the surgery and the doctor's trying to feel for the goiter. She can't find it. They're little seeds, five little seeds. Oh, I've gone ahead of myself. This is what happened. She says, that night, they came home, she and her husband. He sat down, and he didn't tell me. He had one leg shorter than the other. And as he's leaning over, watching his legs, he was just, it just the intensity of the presence of God. You see, we, we raised a church that could worship. The presence of God was so tangible, everyone felt it. One who was a Hindu uh, Indian uh, from Fiji was so moved by the power of God, she felt like electricity from the top, all over her body, from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Electricity, what is it? So said, That's the power of God. That's the anointing of the Lord. And she ended up turning to Jesus. But this man, he's looking down at his legs, and he saw his leg literally grow in front of his eyes. No one was there. It was just the presence of God. She goes into the bathroom to brush her teeth when she had to vomit, and she vomits five times. Five seeds came out of her mouth. And then she went to see the doctor the next day, and the doctor says this, Jasmine, I don't know what's happened, but I can't find the five growths, the, the goiter in your throat. She says, that's because Dr. Jesus healed me. The doctor says, no, 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 no. Nonsense, nonsense. I'm going to run some tests. We're going to run some tests. So they ran some tests. So we had to wait till the next time, next Thursday night, when Jasmine told us what happened. She went to the doctor. The doctor saw the reports. There was a blood test. There was a scan. And the doctor's jaw just hit the floor. She says, I don't know what's happened, Jasmine, but there is not a trace of goiter inside your body. Come on, you've got to give a shout to the Lord. The doctor said this story. It was a Chinese doctor. She says, Jasmine... I don't know. You say, Dr. Jesus healed you. I've got a growth in my knee. Can you pray for me? The doctor said this. While she was praying, the assistant came and says, Doctor, there are patients waiting outside. She said, let them wait. Dr. Jesus is operating on me. This is a doctor saying this. Jasmine lays a hand on her. The anointing is still on her. And this doctor, the growth disappeared on her knee. A doctor. This doctor is so shocked. She grabs Jasmine by the hand and says, come with me, come with me. And she, she brings her out to the waiting room with all the patients that she says, you know, I'm your doctor. This is one of my patients. Jesus healed her. She has goiter. I'm a doctor. Here's the scans. She prayed for me. I had a growth in my knee. If you want, and, and God healed me right now. If you would like healing, can you line up and Jasmine will pray for you. Revival breaking out in the doctor's surgery. Why don't we stand to our feet as we finish today?